welcome to the Life Design Podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Carlos. Welcome, Carlos. Yeah. <laughs> welcome, Suze. Well, today it was very exciting. We had on Susanna Grant. Yep. Spelled the same way as my name, but sounds way cooler. She is from the Netherlands, but lives abroad in Scotland, which it's, I don't know, in my head when someone says they live abroad, like from going Netherlands to Scotland, I know that that is, but in my head, it's not. It's all just in the same area, right? Oh, so you're <laughs> one of those Americans. Yeah, it's like, oh, no, do you no. live in Europe? <laughs> So you must know the Vanderschleys. No, I'm not like that. I know because I do, I know. but and we're not the only ones guilty of that. I met many people Don't. in Australia who I know they but... I'm saying other countries, not oh when you say US. we, you mean other countries, not me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, just want to be very so you get the same thing, like yeah, you know, oh, you West live in Coast California, you must Coast, yeah. yes. Or yes, do I know did I know Tom Cruise? I got that a lot. And I was like, Yeah, we're neighbors, obviously. We were not neighbors, and I no. didn't know him. But anyway, anyway, we're digressing really rapidly. We are. We that that one off the rails pretty quick. Um, <laughs> now, Susanna was a fantastic guest, uh, and I just loved her perspective. And as I mentioned, you know, one of the things that when we saw her profile, we're like, yes, we have to get her on the podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought I, yeah, because it's so aligned with so much of what we think. And again, not that we just try to get people who are going to nod. And, but I thought she, especially I loved her, how she talked so much about from the corporate perspective and what we're seeing with the great resignation. And, you know, there's been so many articles published about it and so much news around it, but her perspective on the humanity that's necessary in organizations today in order to build the right culture. Exactly. And I enjoy hearing that stuff because it's, it is not a world that I'm a part of. And there was no, for us, there was no leaving an office and having to work from home during mm -hmm. COVID. We were already working from home. Like we've talked about how our day-to-day -day life was not as impacted nearly as much as most of the world. So, um, so yeah, so she is, we didn't talk, you know, we don't talk the bios a lot on there, but she is an award-winning author. She's written a couple books already. She's working on a third. We touch on those at the end. She She's is a mom of two, mom of two and a wife and um, like a, a business consultant and coach. And she's an advocate for mental health and teaching businesses how to uh, do things better. And that just because it's the way that it's been done doesn't mean that it needs to be the way that it continues to be done, especially when we're looking at especially mental health statistics and the billions of dollars that are spent, I believe, just in the U.S. alone on um, mental health, mental breakdowns, burnout, burnout all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And also, um, shoot, what was I going to say? Oh, oh, she talked about putting how her her thing is putting um, people before profit, yep. which we've talked about mm -hmm. that phrase before I've used that phrase before. So uh, I really, really enjoyed her. It's just, it's always just fun to just connect with people. Who, right. That's the great thing about doing yeah. one of the great things about doing this podcast is we get to meet people all over the world who are 
have great perspectives and we're glad we get to share it with you. Right. That's just that shared humanity that I just love that you can have just different people from around the world and different walks of life and different stages of life. She's in a much earlier stage in life than I am. I did appreciate that when she said other generation that she didn't say 50, she said 55 <laughs> to 60. You know, I almost was like, that's our, ca-. no, it's not our category. Nope. I was going to let her finish to make sure she didn't go there. <laughs> she did not, but you are a middle-aged white man like that. We did establish that in a hoodie, not a suit. It, that's right. Yes. That's right. That's so, right. But on my best day supervised, yeah, more of like 14 year olds. So I'm okay with good. that. Got it. Cause in the, in the, at the end of the day, we're all still our little kids yeah. inside. And I, oh, you I definitely are. And you're very evolved and you I have, have a, a very healthy relationship with that inner child. We have a lot of fun. Okay. And that sounded a little patronizing. You're so evolved, Yeah, but no, you've actually done a lot of work to I have. be in touch yeah. with your very amazing human side, which, yes, you know, and, and, advocate for people getting there a lot sooner than amen to that so well enjoy the podcast guys we appreciate you we appreciate your support we do mention it but all of susanna's information will be in the show notes and we just want to thank you for being part of the life design community if you have any questions for us you can find us at carlosandsuzanne.com and enjoy the episode Hello and welcome to the Life Design Podcast. I'm Carlos. And I'm Suzanne. And we are now, believe it or not, into our third season of the Life Design Podcast. Yeah, it does sound fancy. Most most podcasts don't make it past five episodes, so I feel like we've accomplished something. Absolutely. So uh, today our guest with us uh, is from overseas. So it's later there. We're actually recording about three o'clock Eastern here. And Susanna Grant, thank you for joining us at the late hour of 8 p.m. your time where you are in Scotland. You are very welcome. I'm glad to be here. Well, um, we kind of dispense with the whole, hey, tell us who you are and things, because I think that comes out in the podcast. But as I mentioned to you, it, your the spelling of your name <laughs> is the same as the way Suzanne spells it, even though you pronounce it different because of your origins being in the Netherlands, but it's still spelled S-U-S-A-N-N-E. Exactly. Yes, because I'm Dutch, we pronounce it as Susanne in the Netherlands. Um, but because I live abroad and yeah, I, I use it online as well, it often turns into Suzanne or Susan or... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, mine is Suzanne, it's the Susan. And I'd be fine. I mean, my origins are my way back origins are from that area as well. So maybe that's where it came from. Who knows? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and then our, our youngest, who's now 20, when he was three and really needed his mom and she was in a crowd, he would just yell, Susie, yeah, instead of mom. And it was great. I was like, why didn't I think of that with the first child? My fourth child came up with that because whenever, when any kid is yelling, mom, mom, everybody turns around and looks. <laughs> and I was like, when he just called me by my name, I was like, this is great. I should have done that a long time ago. Yeah, that's the consonant here because my children call us mama and papa, which is the Dutch equivalent of mom or dad. So when we're out and about, you can hear the difference because they shout mama instead oh, of mom. See, there you go. 
I like that. That's awesome. Well, one of the things that uh, one of the things that I'm so excited to have you on the podcast is I started to look at your website and when we were connected, um, there's so much similarity in what you talk about and what we talk about. And I was like, man, we just, we got to get you on the podcast. So I'm <laughs> glad we were able to get your time before we go into the holidays. <clears throat> but one of the things that I thought was so similar is how we talk about this idea of work-life balance. Um, and, and you you have some pretty strong opinions about that, which I like. And so, so much of the research shows that up to 70%, actually more than 70% of working professionals uh, talk about they struggle to find work-life balance. And then you have other people who are like, well, don't think about work-life balance, think about work-life blend or work-life integration mm-hmm. or work-life fill in the blank. And it, it kind of drives me nuts. And I've been guilty of it. I, I wrote a book about work-life boundaries, but why do people still, well, first of all, give us your opinion on that. And why do you think people still are trying in vain to find balance? Oh, I think it has um, a lot to do with what we as a culture or as a society get taught about what it means to be successful. Mm-hmm. So in order for us to be a success, to succeed in life, it has to come at a cost. It has to come as, a, as expense, you know, success equals sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, for, for our age group, you know, so a post-war generation, when, you know, our parents, grandparents were rebuilding the countries, we were building after the second world war, they got ingrained in you work hard to get this stuff pieced back together. And, you know, the next generations to follow, you can really see these clear patterns of um, working hard pays off. However, with all the technology that's now coming into play and how much more productive we can be because of the internet and, you know, the systems, computers, et cetera, um, it's going too far because we're always on and now especially with of course the last two years where a lot of us got put uh, you know <laughs> at home so work-life balance you know where is it because in the end we all just have life so whether you call it work-life balance or work-life blend or work-life mix or work-life integration however you want to call it it's all about the belief that in order for us to succeed, we have to sacrifice something. And that's usually our health, our relationships, our mental well-being, personal boundaries, whatever it is that you got taught as a child, as a, as a young adolescent, that you were believed that it had to be the expense of. And like you said, research also shows that people are absolutely craving for more balance and I believe it was in 2018 when Harvard did a study that most of the staff said we don't have a good work-life balance and that most of the company said yeah well there are more you know important things to deal with than the work-life balance situation however then there was 2020 and 2021 when we were forced to effectively have no work-life balance because most of us, obviously depending on the job and what industry you worked in, were forced to work from home. So companies now had to do something because it became clear that people are struggling with their mental health, with their physical health, with emotional, spiritual health. Uh, however, uh, you know what, what category uh, you fall in personally. And... It's become clear that 
when you do get that right for you as an individual or as, as your team, if you're of course listening in and yeah, you, you know, you manage a team or you run your own business, it pays off because when we put people before profits, it will increase productivity, not hurt the productivity. Uh, I, I I love that a lot. Um, there, there's a lot there. You talked about success. Um, and, and I just, <clears throat> the more I think about it, the more I, I, I ponder it, write about it. And you said it, right? We have life. Um, and until somebody figures out how to create time, we're all bound by it. And so what we do in the 168 hours we have each week includes a lot of things, including our work. And so I think when we start to try to make work separate as this whole separate thing with work, life, anything, it, sh it should just be, what am I doing with my life? What boundaries am I setting in my life, including work? And I'm curious, you talked about working hard. We're big believers in hard work. And I tell people all the time, when I'm working, I am working. And I mentioned the sign and our listeners can't see it, <laughs> but you have a sign above your shoulders that says, wake up, kick ass, repeat. That doesn't necessarily mean about work, but if you want to apply it to work, I'm curious as to your perspective on this whole idea of the hustle culture and grinding <laughs> and all this stuff. I have, a, I have a feeling I know what you're <laughs> going to say, but I want to throw it out there for the benefits of our listeners. Well, as I, uh, I dive deep in it into my book, where uh, I dropped the MF struggle, where I actually unravel this whole mindset about uh, you know hard work, success, and why these you know things you know are the way we perceive them, and the hustle culture I mentioned it as well is that I have no problem in with if you want to create something or you have a dream on you want to put in the efforts to you know make that happen. The point is only with the hustle culture it's that the way it gets phrased is that if you work say 80 to 100 hours per week that equals automatic success however if you for say you know let's go with 100 hours because that's easier to calculate so for 80 percent of that time are you working on the wrong things then for that 100 hours you're actually only productive for 20 hours so then you might as well just work these 20 hours, <laughs> right? Because then you have the other 80 hours to, you know, make sure you're well rested, you feel fit, you make sure you take care of your, your body, your mind, your soul. And um, when you do go to work and put in the effort, you are much more efficient and you can be much more focused and work hard. So that's why, you know, one of, one of my mottos is work smarter, not harder, because you need to be aware why something is on your to-do list is it just simply there because of the fact you think you should be doing it um is it there because it it, it it is helpful or is it because you know some guru on the internet said this is the way it's done or is it really contributing to the goal you're trying to achieve because then of course i'm like yay go team right go go for it but if it's if it's not constructive if it's not helpful, if it's not contributing to your goal, then why are you doing it? Does it bring you satisfaction? Does it bring you joy? By all means, those are the things, right? If it brings, if it makes your heart sing, yes, 
keep it on the list. But if it drains your energy, if it's sucking the soul out of your, 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 you know, the spirit out of you, then maybe you want to reconsider how you prioritize your to-dos in life. Excellent. Yeah, that's, I think, always a good thing to keep in mind with, with everything, even personal stuff. You know, if there's, you know, you work stuff, but even personal stuff, if there's people that are sucking the joy out of your life or just, you know, certain things that we think that we're obligated to, especially this time of year where we feel a lot of obligations or we have to go to every single thing you're invited to or every family event or whatever. And I think people just need to be a little more mindful of, you know, even if they're all good things, you know, choose what's best and still make sure that you're making time for the the people and the things that are most important to you. So you are a um, business coach and consultant. So you're very in tune with with especially what's been going on the last couple of years, you've mentioned that. And so you have written about how in 2021, we're seeing this like great resignation. People are leaving their jobs at a higher rate than we've seen in the past. And I read that you had said that it, especially moms, like working moms. So I'm curious about that. I'm also curious about what the reasons that you're seeing of the why behind the people are doing that. Um, yeah. So just give me a little insight on that. I just was fascinated to read that and curious as to your thoughts. And again, that the whole working mom thing, I could spend days talking about that. Um, I just had a really unique situation for myself that it, that part of it was easy, except when I started and, and like you, um, had no intention of being a wife and mom ever. I think I read that about you mm-hmm. and, and then here I, I, you know, then I had four, got married and had four kids and I chose to, you know, you talked about the sacrifice thing. My sacrifice was career. I just ditched it all. And I ended up staying home for a dozen years. And then, you know, it, that's, that's a real fun thing trying to get back into the workforce after you've been mm-hmm. out of it, because we don't, at least in our country, we do not respect the job, the work that it is to be a stay-at-home mom. And in my case, family, uh, manage a family of six people. So that's all, that's a whole nother topic, but I'm interested in this great resignation. And the fact that you pointed out that you're seeing a lot of moms being a part of this. So tell me more about that. Yes. Um, I've been, I've been keeping an eye on, on the statistics, right? So you see different reports, different resources. So it really also depends on what, um, like, like niche or, or you know the sector they're they're looking at. So for example, if you look at uh, manufacturing, a lot of those things, the jobs like often sewing, so making the clothes industry, like maybe India. I had someone on my show on LinkedIn a few weeks ago. She worked in India uh, in in the manufacturing industry, and she said, yeah. These are mostly women who come to work. You know, make the clothes and. and that all had to be closed down. So I think if I remember the statistic correctly, it was 78% left in that industry. Because obviously if you don't have no income for that long and you are a mom, sometimes often a single mom, you can't sit around (laughs) for that long and wait until you finally 
get you know to feed your children again so uh, and not just in, in india but we've seen it here in the uk as well like um for hotels or or um yes similar industries people now shifted um because one of course you know their their jobs weren't important enough <laughs> always good you know for 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 your for your soul when you're told you know basically what you do <laughs> is not worth living right it's, it's mm-hmm. you know um, I think that's that's the one first point is that I think people on a global scale were told that their job was not important enough. And I think people just realized that, well, if even the government thinks it's not important to do this job, then why am I doing this in the first place? And I think that just maybe sparked people thinking, do I still want to do this then? Um, besides maybe low pay or not opportunity or pay gaps and, and there's so much more to, to work than just these elements but if you're looking at the, at the statistics um, parents are, are uh, leaving at double the rate and then mothers uh, I think it was 4.4 and 5.5 uh, for male versus female um, but that begs the question is it then an issue around um, parenthood if you put you know on a global scale everyone on, on uh, yeah, lockdown if you're as a company then don't provide the flexibility for you to look after your elderly mother or after your children or whatever other care duties you have does that then mean that people just go to an employer who does allow it because there are a lot of people a lot of women, because I think for um, other care duties, so, so like uh, like an, an you know, elderly, I think 75% are women for that as well. And it's all um, unpaid work yet again. So if there's no space um, where you can, where, where people understand that you have a life beyond the desk, right? It, Work is not you not just that number that just shows up from nine to five and just fits in that mode and and that you off again. Now you're a real person with real feelings, with real passions, with real drive. And if you can, as a manager or as a CEO, can understand how valuable every single one of those people you have is and get them to shine and be committed and like show up like, yes, you know, let's do this. You're going to get much better results. And if people just feel like creating them, like absolute, let's keep this clean. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And there are companies who are starting to understand, but, but I see like, especially the old um giants <laughs> and you know we we have some personal experience with that as well with my husband currently that you see that they're doing things that i'm like oh you really don't understand how this comes across from a person's perspective right and and i think that that's that's the three elements that just just ties in together that that one people were told you know your job's not worth doing <laughs> and uh-huh. two um yeah if you don't allow for flexibility, um, people are just just after the last two years, they're not willing to put up with it anymore. And I see a lot of people that actually just leave with no other job lined up. And that hasn't happened before, as far as I know, that usually people you know, shift to something new. And I think people just had enough <laughs> after the last two years 
of the negative news and everything that's going on. It's like if if I'm not if I'm not doing it now, then when? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, they yeah. Do, they do say people don't leave jobs; they leave bosses and cultures. Um, and it's interesting that you're talking a lot about <clears throat> what is that employee experience? My words, not yours. Um, and so the whole idea of employee experience is nothing new. I guess from your perspective, if corporate leaders aren't going to plug into the fact now in this environment that, oh, we employ human beings, right? There, there's nothing, you talked about, boy, this job is meaningless. Why am I doing it? I remember one time being told by a boss, let's face it, your job's a necessary evil. I was like, oh, well, gee, thanks for that motivational <laughs> speech. That's awesome. Yeah, it makes me want to show up every day. Exactly. <laughs> so if they're not figuring it out now, and I still, you know, I'm just curious in your take, what is it, you know, will they ever figure that out? I think some companies won't. Mm -hmm. I think some companies will absolutely have to crash before they come. Oh, I wonder why everyone's leaving. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So within that, with with employees taking their life back, in, in, you know, again, from a great resignation perspective, is that how you define success? Well, I think it starts with defining what success means to you and working for someone else who treats you like <laughs> you, you're replaceable. It's probably not what people want anymore. And people realize that there are companies out there that can offer something else for a better pay for more equal opportunities for for uh, you know mother's support i know they're now even talking about uh, menopause support um those are all becoming more and more mainstream things because companies realize you know we're in the business of people if our people are burned out it's gonna hurt the bottom line i think burnout is something too i was just on the phone with somebody uh, today. Um, and then a couple of weeks ago, I had somebody say, Hey, you know, could you talk to us about managing burnout? Like, I don't want to talk to you about managing burnout. I want to talk to you about not even getting close to burnout. <laughs> Avoiding it. Yes. So, you know, I know we've kind of talked about the employer side, but isn't there some culpability on the part of the individual? Because so many people you, know, you talked about people just leaving their jobs with nothing lined up. That's what I did. I left the first company that I co-founded a uh, number of years ago, about six, almost six years ago now, um, with nothing lined up, no, literally no safety net. And I had every reason in the world to justify, you know, two kids in college, two more on the way. Um, and people were like, holy cow, you're nuts. And I, it was scary, but I knew it needed to happen. But I hear a lot of times, what do you expect me to do? Just quit? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's what I expect you to do. That, that would be that hearing everything you just described, how miserable you are, that would be the next logical step. But you're okay with being tormented, whatever word we want to use within your job, which of course, because we're holistic human beings, it's not like we go, oh, I live in a I work in a crappy job and therefore it's not going to affect any area of my life. Affects every area of your life. So isn't there some responsibility on the on the part of the individual? The, the thing is, this is 
it all ties in together. So unless we want to resolve it, we've got to find a way where we, like I say, normalize having a life beyond the desk because you can't keep those two separate. So if you give the individual the tools to cope with, with life, because let's face it, I don't know how your education was in school, but I can't say I typically got <laughs> taught helpful tools like how to deal with grief or how to buy a mortgage or, you know, how to budget, uh, you, you know, your monthly paycheck, stuff like that. Um, it can really contribute to how the individuals cope. Um, but yeah, if, if, if a company, for example, pays you too little to be able to um, yeah, make your basic payments, then it's automatically putting your employee at stress. And it's also going to affect how they show up to the work. So you, you can't see the two separate. And I think that's that's the main reason why I you know talk about um, not on podcasts like the one for myself, but also do like on, on business conferences and you know, other uh, platforms. It's just to raise awareness that until we are going to open up the dialogue about what is really important for people, which of course one is um, you know, a roof above your head, but also financial safety, feeling secure, feeling loved, feeling feeling valued, all these basic human emotions, so to say. But because there's still such a stigma around mental health, emotions, especially, you know, as a woman, you know, you're too emotional. Well, you can't talk about those things. <laughs> I see uh, you rolling your eyes, Suzanne. Right. And we are the same. It's not that different between men and white. I don't know why we think that men don't have, um, I think men are taught that. And they actually do have emotions and they're just as emotional. It's just not as accepted. And no. women are belittled for that. And it's, I would say, honestly, in our relationship, he's probably more emotional than I am. He's just wired a little more that way. But, you know, 100%. yeah, it's, uh, that stuff irritates me. Go on. <laughs> Didn't mean my eye rolling just interrupted. <laughs> no, but that's, that's the thing. Until we just have an honest conversation with what what it is that we really need in order for it to be a success as an individual, as well as the team or the company, this won't change. And what I'm seeing a lot with, with companies as well is that you've, you've got your senior management that, that's like a, you know, a generation older than, 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 than me because I'm, I'm 35, so say they're like 55, 60. They are the ones who are deciding what mothers nowadays need. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and how much do you think that um, no offense but those middle-aged white men in suit because they're often still you know the older generation the, there's not that much mix uh, yet in you know um, different cultures and, and uh, genders uh, necessarily how much would they know about motherhood in the first place so uh Start asking, open the conversation, send out a survey. What do you need? What, what can we do better? And all that, those the kind of things. But yeah, until we actually, you know, do it, <laughs> you will never know. Exactly. And, and the things that you're talking about are so simple and they don't really cost a company anything. Like just, you'd mentioned people want to feel valued. Um, thank you mm -hmm. goes such a long way. And I know I've, I don't, I'm not doing things in my life to get thanked. 
But if I'm working hard and especially in volunteer situations where I'm volunteering my time and energy and resources and not getting paid for it, I'm like, I'm not doing it to be thanked, but boy, it would just be nice if the person in charge would just say, hey, thank you for all you do. Oh my word, that I, exactly. to, to have been in that position of just like not no acknowledgement whatsoever. I, I did feel that like, what am I spinning my wheels for? And not that again, not that my motivation was to be thanked, but it would have been very encouraging for sure to just hear thank you. And that didn't cost anybody anything except yeah. I don't know, maybe pride or something. Maybe we get, you know, the bosses get in their own way and don't want to, you know, acknowledge that somebody else did some great work. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it is some of that stuff is just so easy to do. And it's, it's mind boggling that um, the establishment of whatever can't get past whatever it is they can't get past to just open the door a little bit. And like you said, ask questions, just ask questions. You, you don't know what someone needs unless you ask. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. That, and that's why I like talking about these things, just to plant the seeds that people actually, you know, tomorrow, you know, when they talk to someone. So, you know, how is it going? Like, really not, you know, the cultural accepted. I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> to have a real conversation. What do you need? What can I do for you? Like, like. Tell me what makes your heart sing. What can we do more often that you feel like, yes, I get to go to this today, right? right. And the, the funny thing is, is that I was watching the movie Avatar uh, last night again, and I don't know if you've seen the movie, but um, they say in it that that when I see you, and they 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 make that real connection, that they just look each other in the eye and like, I see what you just did there, and I think if we learn even if we're just on because of course we're on camera um talking to each other i always make sure to look at yeah. the camera when i'm talking and you guys can, can see that it, it took a lot of practice to teach myself that because you, you kind of want to you know, look at yourself with, Eight or, with yeah. my hands that i'm flapping but <laughs> even on just working on zoom with people is that you can just still make them feel like i see you I see the work you've put in and you may not have nailed it. <laughs> you may not have been as productive as you want to be, but I know you've done your best and I appreciate you for that. And I think if we can teach leaders to lead with more empathy and more human emotion, and that's why I think, you know, getting more women into these, uh, you know, roles especially with us being so emotional i think if we can combine those skills i think everyone will benefit but it does take awareness on on how to do these things differently and I, and, and like yeah like you said there's there's so many many simple things that we can do and it starts with looking each other in the eyes <laughs> and saying i see you not just rushing by like fine right no whatever <laughs> no I see you. I see what you just did. Appreciate you. Thank you. So, so what is it that gets in the way? Is it fear of change? Is it some sort of fear, like something feels threatening or lack of knowledge? Although there's so much information out there, I don't think that's an excuse. But what is it that gets in the way of companies asking the right questions, making necessary changes, just um yeah trying to be broader in the way that they handle things 
I think it's it's similar to what we experience on the individual level as well, is that we're busy. We've always done it this way. This kind of works well enough. And yeah, we, we don't have the time to take a step back and reevaluate and tweak where necessary. We just keep going. And usually when, you know, we crash and whether it's, you know, it's our personal health or, or you know, when you just suddenly have to make the change, that's when we, we, we step into action. And with companies, I see it a lot too. It's, it's a lot of, um, we have a saying in Dutch, it's called dweile met de kraan open, which means that you're mopping with the tap still running. Um, so that, that that always reminds me of this is that we're we're like reactive, especially with companies. And you're now seeing a, sh- a shift that companies have to start being proactive and, and taking preventative measures in, instead of, oh, look, you know, half my team is burned out. You know, let's see how we can manage burnout. How about we start implementing systems so burnout doesn't happen or is at least the risk is reduced. And it's that shift I personally think we're now seeing in, in, in the marketplace uh, with companies that are going from you know, being reactive to being proactive. And, you know, employees uh, prefer that. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a costly joke, all the, all the money that goes towards um, um, yeah, burnout, absence-related uh, health costs. Oh, yeah, I, I, I read a stat that you had on your site about that and yeah it's, it's massive billions, billions a yeah. year and yeah if that can go towards profit <laughs> right yeah exactly so I, I, again bringing it back to the individual level i think there's so many things you know when you especially when you said the taking the time to take a step back mm-hmm. one of the things we talk about is sometimes you need to slow down to go fast you need to go backwards so you can go forwards and, you know, life design is all about whether it included, as I mentioned, including your work, it's all about creating a life that you love to live. And so if we can just talk from an individual perspective, you know, the, I, I, I have so many conversations with people who are interested in, you know, okay, you know, let's talk about coaching. The reality is they're afraid that they're not comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so I'm curious as to what you see when you work with companies, whether it's at the leadership level or the employee level of, is it simply just the unknown or, or the, the fear of change still outweighs the consequence of how we're operating or how I'm living as an individual? Well, obviously, I, I work with, with clients on, on one-to-one uh, as well, right? And I go really deep into these um, mindset things and like generational patterns. And I'm really good at helping to get to the bottom of things. And, and the biggest thing that I come across, as I also describe in the book, is that the fear of not being good enough. Yep. And that's a major ding, ding, ding. You know, if people are listening, it's like, oh, she's talking about me. Yes, almost every single one of us has that that fear of not being good enough. And a lot of my clients, and whether that's a company or team or just an individual, um, we tie in our worthiness in with how much we get done. So if I do say, you know, at least 90% of my to-do list, 
then I'm good enough, then I'm productive enough, then I'm worthy of X, Y, Z. And if you are at a burnout, for example, you can't suddenly do these things anymore. And then, you know, the the unworthiness, the not enoughness pops in the head because you just simply can't do it anymore. And then are you a worthless human being because you can't be as productive? Well, of course not. And we know that on a conscious level that if you would do a little bit less this weekend, and just, you know, as I would say, park your butt on, on the couch uh, and uh, just do nothing and recharge. Um, but it's that it's, it's, it can be a terrifying feeling when you're suddenly cannot be busy anymore. And it covers nine out of 10 times up the feeling of you in the core of your being, not knowing 100% sure that you are good enough. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned busyness because I think we use busyness, whether it's workaholism or overscheduling of events, whatever, to avoid those very feelings and actually kind of getting down on the mat and wrestling with the voice of shame and overcoming it and saying, it doesn't mean I'll never hear that voice again, but I at least can work it through on my own to know that that's not true. Yeah, it's it's scary. Because I, I remember, you know, many, many years ago, uh, I decided to quit my job uh, and to take a, a year off to recover from, you know, uh, at the time I was still struggling with my uh, post-traumatic stress disorder as well. And I remember the first three months, like binge was uh, Buffy the Vampire Sayer, uh, for anyone <laughs> familiar with that TV show, uh, because I was just terrified. I was like, just well, I had to stay busy, busy. And it took me three months just to be able to sit in my living room and not have something on. It was terrifying because I was always used to be busy I had always like homework I was the the, the editor of my school uh, newspaper I, I was always just busy and I was always doing at least for like 60 80 up hours per week and then of course you got your social gatherings and your exercise and all like I was always busy 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 and then when all of that fell away and um, because I thought it was a good idea <laughs> um it was quite confronting. So I can totally relate when, you know, obviously if I work with a client, if they're uh, like, you know, on sick leave or burnout leave, how terrifying that that feeling can be when there's just nothing you have to do or can do because of wherever you are right now. And it's, it in the end, it all came down to me telling myself that, I'm still a great human being and I'm still very much loved, even though I did absolutely nothing today. And that's, that was quite a journey to get to, and especially now with being a mom and I'm you know, taking care of uh, those two little ones as well. It's sometimes a hard pill to swallow when you, when you did all these things for everyone else except for you and then still go, you know what? I'm okay. Tomorrow we'll try again. Right? And I, I, I can see you can uh, totally relate to what I'm saying because you oh, felt right. that in your heart. <laughs> it, and, and, that, and that's the thing. It's because we're so conditioned. We have to be productive. We have to... That, that, that's underlying stress that we have to do this to succeed. Well, I think if... Because I've 
I know, it, I, like you said, with volunteer work as well, I used to volunteer at um, a concentration camp uh, in Amersfoort. Wow. So I, you, I worked with victims from the Second World War. Wow. And I've had a lot of conversations with these prisoners of wars. And a lot of them were like on death's door, because obviously, you know, me being 35, there were 85, 90, you know, a lot older. And the, the thing that they valued most wasn't doing more things, <laughs> wasn't being more productive and getting you know, those goals hit. It was really about connecting and seeing these, these, these men, these prisoners one more time or just saying their goodbyes and just that real human connection. And that makes, makes me wonder, and that makes me also, I bring this also up when we're working with people, if, if you know when your end date would be, would you still be doing this? Because obviously most of us don't know when, you know, <laughs> yeah. we get the knock, so to say. Well, and, and yeah. again, that's, we are wired for deep, meaningful connection. We are not wired for our our endless hours in front of a computer to get a report out to a board or things like that. And again, I'm not diminishing work. I think work is important, but there's so much more to us as human beings. And when we don't tend to the needs that we have, the deep innate built into our DNA needs of deep, meaningful connections, starting with connecting with yourself, which you beautifully articulated, I find it fundamentally impossible for us to design a life we're going to love. Yes, I, uh, I agree. <laughs> there's a lot I wish I could go back and do over again. Not a lot, but there's definitely some things like I, and especially I think that motherhood part of when you talked about the sacrifice and I was like, Oh, you know, I sacrificed my career, but and I sacrificed a lot of myself too, or it was for whatever crazy reason thought that, I was the bottom of the barrel, you know, that if I ever did anything um, for myself, that was selfish, which again, I'm, you know, created that own story in my mom own guilt. mind, you know, yeah, it's like mom guilt. And then it's, and then when you, when you are staying at home and not contributing financially, that was so hard for me. Mom guilt. And that was really why I felt like I had you know, I didn't deserve anything because I wasn't contributing. And I was only taking one little part, the financial part. I was contributing in massive ways, but all I could see was that like, you're not contributing financially, so you don't deserve anything. And um, yeah, boy, I'm relatable. Yeah. Yeah. It's (laughs) awful. It's an awful, awful feeling. And no, no side of that coin has it better than the other, the working mom, the stay-at-home mom. It's 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 an exhausting argument that we shouldn't even be having, quite frankly. But well, um, the way I always phrase it is like, you know, women only make up like 51% of the world, but we give birth to 100% of the world. Yeah, and I, I think love that. We start valuing women and giving them and their children the tools they need to, to succeed. So you may have, you know, the occasional mom killed, but you can, you know, follow your career, look after your mental health, your children, uh, have a healthy relationship with your partner if you choose to have a partner, 
um, or you know, do co-parenting or whatever is suitable for your situation. I think if we would give every single mother on this planet the tools to succeed, there will be so much change on, on the problems we're having, on, on drugs use we're having, on, on the relationship, on the bonding with children. There, so much would change if we would start valuing women for the palpable beings that they are because without us <laughs> they will not be babies born because i think as far as i know science hasn't figured out just yet how to do but you know our, our amazing uteruses uh, uh, do it and i really think that that if we can get the support where you have the mental health support whether it's with postnatal depression or if, if you're just with, with child care in these early years because statistics show even that the first year after a child gets born, both parents, so not just the woman, but also the father, are most likely to kill themselves. Wow. It's still the first year after a child gets born. And in the UK, in the age group from 21 to 45, suicide is still the number one cause of death for, for meals. So it's not until we start valuing people, seeing really people, understanding how important you as an individual are, but we we don't get taught that. We get taught to be disconnected and closed down, and <laughs> right. And I I really hope that as well with the book and and when when people hear me speak is that they I just want them to walk away with their feelings like yeah you know what I am awesome or I can you know learn to see that I am more awesome than I gave myself credit for. Yeah. That's that, that a feeling in your heart that that's really for me important that any interaction, whether it's the mailman <laughs> or, or the handyman from the landlord, because I tend to, you know, tell them I love them and when they do like brilliant work and then it gets all awkward and stuff. But I <laughs> can just to really appreciate good craftsmanship, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, let me say a hearty amen to the moms and women. And that's not from a middle aged guy in a suit. That's from a middle aged <laughs> guy in a hoodie. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're, you're, you're we appreciate you too. Um, no, it, you're exactly right. I think, um, maybe that's a whole other episode. Uh, but yes, I, I will agree with you a thousand percent on that. Um, one last question for you, Susanna is life design looks different for everybody. What you're, you're and your husband decide to design for your life is going to be different than what Susanna and I design decide for our lives. But what, what are one, we ask this of all of our guests and I love the, all the different answers we get, but what are one to two small shifts you think, or you would encourage people to make so they can start designing a life that they love? Well, for me, it, it always starts with awareness. So you need to see and be honest with yourself. Like, am I happy here, right? And what elements do work? Because it doesn't need to suck all. <laughs> it doesn't need to be all bad. But, you know, say you, you define, you know, you've got work, you've got friends, you've got family, you've got your spiritual uh, journey, you've got your, your mental health, physical, all these different elements. And just take stock, see, see what's going well. Can, can you maybe, you know, transfer some of these skills that you apply to the one area of your life uh, to the other? But really just be honest with yourself. And uh, if you have a partner or a friend, just, just, just start a dialogue. It's like, look, I was listening to this brilliant podcast, and I have to tell you, she was talking about, you know, um, having a dialogue, and I was just wondering, do you want to have a chat about, uh, you know, these things? How is it really going? And I think 
there's still a lot of work to, to be done about just, just being honest with ourselves and being honest with each other. And there, of course, there are still people that will hold it against you, you know, when you're honest. So pick your audience wisely. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's what I would do. Just, and just, just be honest, create the awareness. And if you can't talk to anyone or, you know, you don't want to talk to anyone, that's fine too, of course. Just write it out. What's going well? What am I happy with? What have I accomplished that I'm super proud of? How far have I gotten? Are there things that I thought I could never do but did achieve? Um, but is there anything else that uh, I would do? Is there other things, like you mentioned as well, you never thought you would be a mother of uh, four. Um, you know, what was good in that? What did I learn? What, what, are, what are the amazing moments that, that I would never have wanted to miss in the first place? Just, just find these things that that are good and then tweak the rest that you may maybe not <laughs> be so, so pleased about. But I, I can guarantee you that if you, if you dive in and just take the time um, to write it out or talk to a friend or a family member that understands and supports you because you don't want someone to break you down in this one. So like I said, pick wisely. Um, yes, see, see how you can shift um, yeah, the other elements, and, yeah. That's excellent. Okay, before we wrap, you do have another book coming out in the spring. Is that correct? Why don't you just give us a little little preview about that? What's that about? And yes, it's work in progress. So I I need to maybe extend the deadline a tiny bit. So let's say 2022. Just there we go. Okay. Yeah, it's. I wrote uh, my first book, uh, Drop the MF Struggle, uh, in uh, this year, and it was published in August and became an international bestseller. And it's actually a part of a series, part one and two. And the second is about how to drop the money struggle, where I want to dive into a lot of the um, conditioning we have around money, of how money is you know, supposed to work uh, and money uh, could work. Um, and I also talk about my own journey because uh, like I also shared in the first book, you know, when I was 17, I uh, was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. I was a runaway. I was, a, uh, yeah, didn't have a home. Um, so from, <laughs> from there for where I am now, it's quite a journey. Um, and the money story is a similar story. And I think, um, you know, again, by, you know, sharing these stories, we can, you know, leave the shame <laughs> and make it disappear and just you know uh, I think nowadays they're starting to teach children in school about how to manage money and but again it's something that that my generation at least did not get taught on, on how do you make money how do you create money how do you let money work for you how do you create passive income how can all these things that we believe about money to be true and and yeah, why do the wealthy get more wealthy and the poor get more poor? And how does that tie in with the conditioning of uh, you know, the society, how it's structured? And because, of course, you know, how in my own background uh, you know, in, in history, um, yeah, that I find that really interesting. And so far, <laughs> people seem to resonate with that. So I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And um, yeah, the book really is about uh, breaking down um, yeah, the, the, the belief system we have and uh, effectively uh, one of my friends, as she said that, so I, uh, and I quote her from one of her books, she said, I, the moment um, when I decided um, to stop working for money and let money work for me, that's when everything changed. 
And I really want the, that book to be about that shift that money is there to support us, not to, you know, kill us or force us or tie us down or all that kind of stuff. But I'm not completely there yet myself with my mindset to be uh, able to get like the, the good conclusion on the book. So it's work in progress, but it will be um, hopefully uh, yeah, 2022, depending on, the, on the, the shifts I'm making. But I'm writing it as I go along um, because I do really think it will be helpful for the reader yeah, to understand from where I was to where I, I came to be. Um, so yeah, I hope it, <laughs> it will be helpful, but it's, 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 it's in the making, so to say. Well, in the meantime, everybody can just read your first book and we'll put a link to that on this uh, podcast. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> well, Susanna, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Um, you have shared incredible insights. All of your information will be in the show notes. And that is a wrap on this episode of the Life Design Podcast. And we hope that you choose to make it a great day. Thank you for listening to the Life Design Podcast. You can find more episodes with people who have designed their life to get the most from it by visiting us at carlosandsuzanne.com.